I feel like I just need to be quiet for a minute and let that just <laughs> sit on your soul. Um, Marcy, thanks a ton. I, uh, I asked Marcy uh, to sing that for us because, um, are you guys still trying to catch your breath also? I'm like in the moment. Uh, but I asked her to sing that because um, that song, I'm a Wayfaring Stranger, uh, it really captures a, a genre, a style of song that we're pretty unfamiliar with in American culture today. No matter what style you listen to or whatever, you don't hear a lot of songs of lament really coming in, in almost any style. Um, but I wanted to bring to you some, like an American version of a lament, and that's the spirituals are probably as, as close to that as we can find in, in our country, in our culture. Here's the interesting thing about that song that Marcy just sang is um, we actually don't know who wrote it. It just kind of emerged out of the early 1800s and not even a date because it just seems to have kind of popped up a few different versions of it, a few different lyric twists. It seems that somebody, probably an African slave on a plantation, just went out under the stars one night and began to sing, I'm just a wayfaring stranger. And it was just picked up here and there. And all of a sudden you just start seeing versions of it emerge out of that pain-filled time. So it's been recorded and re-recorded over the years by different ones. But it's really a, a song that captures these songs of, of lament that we have in our Bible. Where there is suffering. But that that suffering is meant with a longing and then that longing stirs hope right so so often in these songs of lament you've got suffering longing and this grasping forward for for just hope um let me just repeat the the first words i'm just a poor wayfaring stranger i'm traveling in this world of woe so this acknowledgement of heaviness darkness Yet there's no sickness, toil, nor danger in that fair land to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. This longing for home. This, this longing for father. This longing for safety just emerges. So very far from kind of life as we know it today. Not many of us are in such a place that we just spontaneously go out under the stars and, and uh, burst into a, a song like that. But I want you to imagine with me, what if, okay, what if all of a sudden a real danger encroached on our safe little haven of the world? So what if there began to be wars and rumors of war coming close to Iowa? Like that's almost fantastical, right? But I want you to go on this little thought experiment with me. What if we actually found that there was a ground war on the way to Iowa? And suddenly, it's not just wars and rumors of wars. All of a sudden, you're looking on the horizon and seeing smoke rise up from towns and counties around that have already been conquered. And so, you're already filled, you know, gripped with a little bit of fear. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing the tanks rumbling and roaring and suddenly you 
you hear the, the soldiers marching in, and all of a sudden there's an invading army, right, on the borders of Iowan coming our way, and now all of a sudden they're here, and they're in Iowa City, and you're actually taken captive. You are actually harassed and grabbed and thrown out into the street and taken captive, but you're not just taken captive a little ways away. You're taken captive, like from here to Washington, D.C., like 900 miles away, and you think you'll never see home again, you'll never maybe see family again. There you are, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and you're captive, you're kidnapped by enemies. So the reason I think we have to go in those thought experiments every now and then is, A, that is actually the experience of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world today. That's not fantastical, that's their life if you're a Christian in Afghanistan, if you're a Christian in North Korea, whatever, you're, you're sensing this encroaching danger constantly. But, but maybe more than that, um, I'm trying to depict where these songs of lament come from, many of them, in the book of Psalms. In fact, what I want you to do is, we're not going to stare down at this one for very long, but if you've got your Bible, go to Psalm 137. Um, this is maybe one of the most dark of the songs of lament is Psalm 137. So about 2,500 years ago, God's people were hauled off to Babylon about 900 miles away. That'd be about like from here to D.C. to a strange land, very far away, thought they would never get home, harassed. And Psalm 137 is just one of those songs that was sung by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. But we're not in Zion right now, we're in Babylon. And so there we hung up our lyres on the poplar trees. For our captors there asked us for songs, our tormentors for rejoicing. Hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You know, like, hey, we hear you guys can sing. We hear you guys used to have a band. Hey, where's Blake? Get him up there. Sing us a song. Entertain us with your happy little songs, right? Verse 4, how can we sing the Lord's songs on foreign soil? Look, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to play the guitar anymore. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem as my greatest joy. And now the song of just lament. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites said that day at Jerusalem. Destroy it, destroy it down to its foundation. So the Edomites were like the neighbors that could have been helpful. They could have stepped in, right? But no, they didn't. All the people from the Quad Cities or whatever, you know, are yelling as we're about to get to kill them, kill them, right? So those people that we thought were our allies that could have been our friends, they're our cousins. They, they shared blood with us, but no, where were they? Kill them, take them, take them. Verse 8, daughter Babylon doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who pays you back what you have done to us. Happy is he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. That last line is startling that that's in our Bibles. Understand what he's saying. That's what our eyes saw. 
when they came for us, they thought it'd be too big of a hassle to carry all the little ones all the way back to Babylon. And so they just took them out. They bashed them against the rocks. This, this is what has been in the eyes of the people who are now captive, right? This, this has been the experience of them. And they are so filled with grief and lament that they can't help but cry out, right? They're, Lord, I can't sing your songs right now. I can't just whip up a happy worship song. I don't know what's going on around here. I'm terrified. I'm, I'm brought low. And, and so then there you are with Psalm 137 and others like it kind of being the only songs that are churning through your soul at that point. And then you remember this promise. Wait a minute. God left us a promise. We're not always going to be left here in Babylon. And so in Jeremiah 29, I'll have these verses actually up on the screen because I want to, this is what the promise was before they ever went to Babylon. Here was this promise, Jeremiah 29. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. And I want you to really note the word restore. It's really important. Restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future. To give you a hope. And you will call to me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me. And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will, there it is, restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. That idea of hope for restoration. Three times he uses that word shuv. I want you to see the word shuv. It's a really important Hebrew word. Shuv. That's, that's Hebrew for restore. This idea that there will be restoration, that, that all will be brought back to the way it ought to be, that, that all this terrible stuff is going on, but Lord, tell me that there's a future. Tell me that there's a hope. Tell me that, that you're going to bring things back the way it ought to be. Shuv, this idea of restoration. So, there you are, singing songs of lament, like Psalm 137, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. What about that promise? Wait a minute. What about that, that hope of restoration? And you're thinking, wait, it's about that time. You know, 70 years have passed. You know, probably wouldn't look at your watch for that. But, but you, all of a sudden you're like, oh. And then suddenly craziness over the loudspeakers at your camp that you've been thrown into. Gather all Iowans, you know. Head to the train station. You're going home. And you're just like, What? Did, did I just hear that right? And you're looking around like, is that possible? Yeah, and it's, guys, there's lots of nations represented. Lots of people groups have been deported and taken to Babylon. And they're not all going home. It's not like Babylon said, oh, let's just empty all, you know, the slaves back. No, no, no. Just the Iowans, okay? So craziness, all of a sudden, there you are hearing the, the loudspeaker, all oh, Iowans board the train. It's time to go home. So now I want to look back in the Psalms. I want to look at Psalm 126. That's the one we're going to be more kind of staring down and drinking in Psalm 126 is at that moment where all of a sudden, craziness, we get to go home. We thought all, all hope was lost. 
that Shuv restoration was maybe even just a dream, and now here we are going home, and so look at Psalm 126. When the Lord restored, see the word there. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. What? Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, wow, Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were joyful. Now I want you to notice the past tense there. We were joyful. In that moment, remember, okay, so I'm, I'll point out why that's important here in a second. But just, just imagine, for years you've only sung, sung songs of lament. Um, praying, longing, hopeful, and now dreams are coming true. We are like those who dreamed. We are like those who only imagined. Is it even possible? It seems so fantastical that we could ever be restored, taken back. And now all of a sudden you're, you're laughing. You know, I was, I was listening to a, uh, a TED talk recently, and, and uh, they said the definition of laughter is uh, a tangible evidence of hope. Laughter is a tangible evidence of hope, right? So all of a sudden, you've only known songs of lament, and suddenly you're just spontaneously like laughing like, are you kidding me? This is nuts. Are we dreaming this? No. And so we're just, our, our hearts are filled with laughter, and there are shouts of joy. No, dreams really do come true, right? Like Chiefs fans from last weekend, right? Like, no way. It's impossible. And it's about the same number of years, right? 50 years, 70 years, give or take, you know, like, I can't believe this, you know, and have you seen all the videos of people just going nuts and running around outside, ah, this is crazy, you know, Chiefs fans, they've never known restoration, here it is, it's happening, right, dreams really do come true, it's craziness, and so this whole part of the the first half of the psalm is just this shouts of joy and laughter, and I love the understatement, right? So all the other nations are saying, man, the Lord has done great things for them. Why? Because they're not getting out. They're still left at the camp. Man, their God must be some incredible God. The, the Lord has done great things for them. And the understatement there, yeah, the Lord has done great things for us. We're just joyful. <laughs> like the understatement, we're joyful. This is craziness, right? So you get on the train, right? Get on the train, and, and you're heading back, that 900-mile track, back to Iowa. And you, you start talking about it, like you and all your friends and all your family. And you're like, I wonder if it's as green as everybody said it would be. You know, like, I wonder if what Grandma said about the, the way you can grow anything in Iowa. I wonder if that's true, right? I mean, so as you're going, you're rehearsing all the, song, all the stories that maybe Grandma has told you or Grandpa has told you about what life is actually like back in Iowa. Man, I wonder if the house is still there, right? I wonder if that tree house is up in the, man, I can't wait to swing the kids. And I wonder, oh, this is going to be so great. And so you've just got all these, you know, images of what it's going to be like when you get restored. Can't wait to see the old house, right? And the train finally stops, and you get off the train, and you're all excited, you know, and you jump off, and you're standing there, and you start looking around, and all of a sudden, the, the smile just kind of goes off your faces, right? Because, man, this isn't, this isn't what grandma described. Like, you start walking down the street, and there's no manicured lawns anywhere. There's not, 
freshly painted houses all around because it's all been abandoned. Those fields aren't just bursting with corn and soybeans. They've been left. It's just weeds. It's just a mess. And then you come around the corner to where you know the family home is and you get closer and you're just horrified. Like, not only has it just been abandoned and destroyed and vandalized and ripped apart, there's somebody else living in there. Like squatters have taken over and you got to chase the squatters out and they don't take care of things, right? Because it's not even theirs. And so you're just standing there like, what is going on, right? There's no gardens. There's no stores. There's no Starbucks, right? There's no... There's no Lowe's to go and just get the couple things you're going to need to put this thing back in place. Right? There's, everything's been abandoned, right? Everything's gone. Everything's, nothing is the way it ought to be. It's a ghost town, vandalized, used up, abandoned. And that's why you get to verse 4. Look at 126.4. So verse 3, he's remembering back that moment when he found out, oh, we get to go back. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. And now look at the prayer, verse 4. Restore, there's the word again. But now it's a plea. Now it's a plea. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. I wanted to just stop with one verse right there. Restore, please, God. We asked for restoration and we thought it was all ours. We thought it was in the bag. So we got here and now we're really crying out, Lord, you're going to have to restore this. Like the Negev, like water courses in the Negev. Here's the secret to that. There are no water courses in the Negev. <laughs> I, I want to show you a picture of the Negev. That's the Negev. That's the desert in Israel. That, that's what they're imagining when they say restore us like the water courses the Negev because here's what happens in the Negev this is miraculous it goes from this arid terribly dry arid wilderness to then once a year maybe in the winter the winter rains come and almost overnight go to the go to the next picture everything just bursts to life it is this miraculous, like if you watch this on planet Earth or whatever, you'll see this unbelievable moment where there are these seeds, there are these plants that somehow lay dormant and dead in the soil under the most unbelievable hot, dry climate, and they get one rain. I'm telling you, this is craziness. Have you ever watched the like stop gap of this happening in, in Israel and then again? One rain, and all of a sudden, it just bursts to life. Like almost overnight, this entire like garden just bursts to life. And then you know what happens? The rains stop. The sun comes back out. And guess what happens to all those flowers and plants? They just die. Everything just goes right back. And so here's what he's saying. Understand, you've got to picture that and imagine that. What the prayer is. Restore, Lord. Like the water courses in the Negev. Like, I don't see it right now. <laughs> there's no evidence that there's going to be plenty. There's no evidence that anything's going to burst to life. Lord, you've got to pull off a miracle like you do with the streams in the Negev. <laughs> because all I see is hopelessness. All I see is dry, barren wilderness. Lord, restore our fortunes, Lord. Pull off a miracle, Lord, like you do with the water courses in the Negev. We need a miracle. We need shuv. Restore, 
please, Lord, please. And so verse 5, this is actually this lament. Those who sow in tears, right there with the hope, will reap with shouts of joy. The one goes along weeping, there's the agony, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back again with shouts of joy, the hope. There will be shouts of joy. Tell me there will be shouts of joy carrying his sheaves. So I want you to keep locking into the picture of what he's describing. So now you get off the train, everything's abandoned, and now you've saved up enough money to get one bag of seed, okay? One bag of seed. And you're looking at these fields that have been abandoned. How many of you guys garden? How many of you guys have garden? Okay. What's it like if you just ignore your garden for a week? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like ah, everything takes over, right? Okay, so now imagine 70 years of abandonment. You're looking out on these fields, and you got this bag of seed, and you're like, where do I even start? Where do I even start? So you got your little hoe, <laughs> and you just start tilling up the soil and breaking it all up and trying to get it. And now you've got a decision to make. You've got a bag of seed. Now you could grind that seed up. It's all dry. You could grind that seed up and make one last meal, maybe even a few meals for your family, and then face the inevitable. Or, hope against hope, you can take those seeds and start throwing them, burying them in the ground. Can you imagine what is going through the hearts of those moms and dads is they're taking one precious bag of seed and rather than feeding their empty stomachs, dropping those things into the ground and burying them. And that's why I'm saying going out with tears, because you know what's watering those seeds? The tears of that mother and that father they are watering every single seed with their tears because they're like, God, you, you have to pull off a miracle. I'm putting all my hope in you right now, seed after seed. And the hope is, Lord, I'll, I'll sow in tears. God, please allow me to reap with shouts of joy. I'm going to carry this bag of seed, but surely... Please, Lord, there's going to be shouts of joy where I carry the sheaves. And sure enough, God does the miracle, right? They, they've been crying out, miracle worker, help me, right? And surely God comes through. These are like the wadis. I don't see how this is going to work. I don't see how these seeds are actually going to do something. And lo and behold, they do it. They plant them. They water it. The rains come. And all of a sudden, there's a harvest. And now suddenly... Everything is restored. Now imagine that first harvest, right? If you've been that guy, you've been that woman, and suddenly carrying the sheaves with you, it's like you've gathered up and bundled your harvest, and they're so big you can't even get your arms around them, right? So you're carrying them to the barn, like laughing the whole time, like, I can't believe it. God, you did this. It's a miracle. You are the miracle worker. We sowed in tears, but we are laughing, and suddenly all the neighbors are coming together, and you're helping each other out, and you're high-fiving each other, and all is well, all is restored. Bellies are full, barns are full, and now there are songs of joy instead of songs of lament because God has stepped in and restored. Okay, here's my question for us in Iowa City, 2020. 
why do we study through these enchanting Hebrew songs like this? Like, why is this in the Bible? What are we supposed to gain as we muse on and meditate on these just incredible enchanting songs? I think a couple things, but first, I do think it's really important, guys, that those of us who live so far away from desperation need to allow these psalms to enter in to the desperation of so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world and maybe even around this country, maybe in your neighborhood. Like enter into what it means to be this desperate. I want you to imagine what it would be like to read Psalm 126 if you were a Christian living in Afghanistan today. How would a North Korean or Iranian believer read Psalm 126? Right? Think of the believers in northern Nigeria. It's just a massacre of Christians going on right now. This isn't like ancient history 2,500 years ago. Today, another hemisphere over, Christians are gathering and they're wondering if it will be their last moment their last day, the last song that they will sing. And so what I'm saying is every now and then, I think we need to get our kind of American experience and American blinders off a little bit, read those psalms and be like, wow, God, let me use this psalm to stir me to pray for my brothers and sisters around Christ who today are encountering these kind of songs very differently than I'm encountering them. And let's enter into that global church. Like you should hear one of our sister churches in Des Moines Cottage Grove, there's a a Sudanese church that actually uses their church building to gather. You should hear the songs that come from the Sudanese refugees. They're refugees, right? They're here because they were fleeing for their life because they were Christians in Sudan and they somehow ended up in Des Moines, Iowa, right? And you should hear the songs that are sung by our Sudanese brothers and sisters. What I'm saying is we we just need to enter in to those who are suffering and longing and trying to hold on to hope. So I think that's one very legit reason that these are here is to draw us into that experience, that very real experience of our fellow brothers and sisters, but more than that, bring it way closer to the home. Guys, Psalm 126 is actually just a shadow of a much greater story that all of us are absolutely involved in. This isn't somebody else's story, this is ours, because here's the thing. Take a step up to the 30,000 foot view of this and remember this, all of us, all of us were born into exile. All of us are born away from the home that we were actually created for. Even the most adamant unbeliever in your family, in your neighborhood, whatever, your friend, even the most adamant unbeliever that rejects the Bible has this haunting feeling deep inside. This is not the way it ought to be. This doesn't feel like home. I don't think home should look like this. I'm looking around at the, at the world in which I'm dropped, and I have this haunting feeling like, I think we're better than this. I think we are created for something more than this. There's got to be something or somewhere other than this because I don't like what's going on here, and I feel like I don't belong. I feel like everything around me is kind of vandalized. 
I feel like everything's kind of twisted and turned upside down from the way it really ought to be. That's the human experience, right? There's got to be somewhere better. All the political upheaval, all the wars and the rumors of war, all even the neighbors hating neighbors, the, the separation, the deep antagonism going on even in this city, right? It's not the way it ought to be, and that haunting sends us somewhere, that human universal experience of homesickness. Now, we might not all be able to call it homesickness. Your neighbor might not be able to say, I feel homesickness, but that's what it is. At its core, it's homesickness. I was made for something else, somewhere else. You know why? Because God hardwired us to be those who dream, right? Psalm 126. He hardwired us to dream. There is that place out there. There is that father out there. I don't know how I know that, but I know it deep in my soul. And so we long for restoration. And what's amazing about this book is we keep reading, right? We don't stay in Psalm 126, and we keep reading this book, and we realize, oh, man, we have a father who longs for us. I'm homesick for that father and that home, and then I start reading more in this book, and I realize there's a father that's actually longing for me. In fact, so much so that he sent his son far away into my exile to come and get me, to come and talk to me about him, to come and make a way back toward him. And when he finds us, here's the way he finds us, not as just hapless victims, he steps into our world, into our world of exile, and realizes we're a hot mess. <laughs> in fact, most of us are living in exile as if we actually do belong in exile, right? He steps into our world, and we're not just, oh, thank you for coming. No, no, no. We're like, hey, I'm pretty happy here, as it turns out. In fact, I'm part of this whole mess. I'm contributing to all this, right? And so often, the son that is sent to come and get us, we either ignore him altogether or reject him outright. But that doesn't stop him. Because even while we're rejecting him, even while we're living it up in exile, even while we are still sinning, Christ dies for us. He pays our ransom for us. He says, oh, that ticket home, here it is. I want to just give it to you. Not because you deserve it. <laughs> Not because you figured it out and you know the way home. You, don't, you didn't even know there was a train. Here's what I'm telling you. There's a train and I've got a ticket and I have bought it fully for you. His love for us is so outrageous that he looks at us exactly as we are. And the love of the Father and the love of the Son come crashing together and pour over us. And suddenly we're found. And suddenly our ears begin to hear the songs of heaven, the songs of restoration. And suddenly we find ourselves looking into the eyes of the sun and saying, I didn't even know it, but you're exactly who my heart was waiting for, right? I wouldn't have even been able to tell you what I was waiting for, but you are the one I was waiting for. And now all the songs of lament and all the songs of partying and all that fade away and we are singing songs of joy. All of a sudden, we are the ones who have been sowing in tears, but we are shouting for joy, shouting for joy. Is this a dream? You start thinking, is this a dream? This, 
This seems too good to be true. You know why? It's too good to be true. (laughs) But God makes even the craziest dreams actually come true. God has done great things for them. And you know what our response is? God has done great things for me. And I am joyful. (laughs) So this is why, even though we're in this ancient book that doesn't even name the name Jesus, it is the most appropriate thing for us to have communion today. Because, guys, I don't, I don't know where you're at in your journey. I, I don't know what has brought you through those doors and, and into this seat here today. At least I don't know what you think brought you here today. <laughs> but I can tell you with confidence, I know why Jesus wants you in that seat here today. It's because he wants to put a new song in your soul. A song of restoration, a song of hope, a song of life, a song of forgiveness, a sense of home. And that's why I want to invite you to the communion table because this is our opportunity to have a family meal. (laughs) This is where we come and realize, oh Jesus, This is how serious you were about restoring me. You gave your life. When I take that bread, it's a reminder, like a real body. Not some fantastical story. Not some myth. A real body had to be slain for my restoration back home. And you offered yours. The perfect one, the son. You gave your life so that I could live. My ransom was bought with the precious price of your body, and your blood. And so I take the bread and I dip it into the cup and I'm reminded, real blood was poured out. Jesus, you loved me so much and the Father loved me so much that a real life was poured out so that I could come and celebrate and now my tears are not tears of lament, they're tears of joy. Because I get to go home. And I feel this sense of confidence and rest Because I finally am hearing the voice that I've always longed for and didn't even know what it was. And a destination that I didn't even know existed, but now I know, and that's where I'm heading. And all is well with my soul because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So we're going to have communion together, but before we do, I I would love to just pray over all of us with the words of this beautiful song. So will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, you know, when Marcy was singing that song over us, Lord, we somehow feel it. It was written so long ago and so far away, and yet there's something in our own experience that we connect because we are poor, wayfaring strangers traveling through a world of woe. But you have Hold us and we believe it that there's a land beyond the Jordan there's a place called home and you haven't just stood far off just calling us hey come over here no 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 you come to get us and even when you came to get us we didn't even want to go 
but you chased us down. And when we were broke and in exile and no ability to pay our own way, you paid it for us by laying down your life for us. And so, Lord, whatever else is going on in our lives, in our world, transform our songs of lament this morning into songs of joy. Speak words of hope into our souls, Jesus. Words of restoration, shuv. And in these moments, know that as we take this bread and take this cup, Lord, it's our declaration of a deep gratitude that we get to be called your people, your sons, your daughters. We're home. We're home. So guys, we're going to begin to sing songs of worship. And as we do, and as you're ready, join us at the tables. There's even a gluten-free one back at the back table. And if you're not,